This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Jason Holliday. Jason, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself for all the people listening that might not know who you are? Yeah, that's probably a lot of people. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for having me on, man. I, re- I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I'm Jason Holiday. Uh, I am the host of the Harvest Holiday Podcast, uh, which can be found pretty much anywhere uh, you listen to podcasts. Um, yeah, I'm just an Ohio guy, uh, 45 years old, born and raised in Ohio. Grew up in a hunting family. Uh, no one really had to drag me out to, to hunt. It was one of those things where, you know, just kind of born into it. I guess you could say one of the stories I always like to tell is, you know, growing up in the country, I was fortunate enough to be able to hop off the school bus as a kid in my school clothes and run through the front door, you know, my school clothes and then out the back door in uh, my hunting clothes as a kid and, and spent my my youth and, and pretty much my entire life, um, being in the woods and things like that. And, uh, kind of transitioned into this podcast because I like to talk to people like you sharing stories and talking about my adventures, the good, bad, and the indifferent. And, uh, part of the reason why I started the the harvest holiday podcast was, uh, back in 2016, I made the decision. I, I wanted to, you know, get into elk hunting. I turned 40 years old and was like, I need to do this. And, you know, it took me to 2019 to, to finally kind of get to that point. Um, and what a journey it's, it's been, it's, it's been more than I could have ever asked for really in terms of the things that I've learned, the highs and the lows and everywhere in between. And, uh, you know, the incredible people, um, that I've met in, in this industry and, you know, through social media and podcasts and things like that. And it's, it's just been an incredible experience, um, all the way around. And, uh, 
Yeah. That, I mean, for the, for the most part, that's, that's it. I mean, for the, the boring professional side, um, my wife and I both work for a company that, um, you know, does like retirement planning and financial planning and insurances and things like that. Um, the benefit of that is, you know, we, we get to kind of structure our own lives, um, which that wasn't always the case. I, you know, as we were talking about before we, um, got recording, I come from a factory background where I had to earn vacation time a week at a time, punching a time clock, mandatory overtime weekends, shifts I didn't like. And, you know, the only thing I ever wanted to do was just like go hunting, you know, or spend time with my, my family and have just time, you, you know what I mean? And, and I traded a lot of time, uh, for money. And, um, as we were, again, as we were talking, we, we had a really good conversation of that transition, you know, in 2020, I had an opportunity to, to leave that career for a career that, you know, afforded me more time, you know, and the flexibility to do the things that, uh, that my wife and I love to do. And, you know, for me personally, just for me, you know, that's, that's spending as much time in the woods, uh, as possible. Unfortunately, I have a wife that, uh, that does support that within, within reason, of course, you know, I, I definitely had to make time for her, which I, I enjoy doing. Um, but that in a nutshell is, is, is pretty much me. <laughs> so you mean you don't get to spend like 200 plus days a year out in the wilderness? <laughs> no, no. If I did, I'd be, it'd be just, it'd be just me, dude. It'd be just, it would be just me. <laughs> yeah. I'm lucky uh, to do what I get to do. That's, that's for sure. I mean, I, I spent, I probably hunted whitetails. I probably got out 30 times or so. And that's not including like scouting trips in the late winter and spring. And, you know, she goes mushroom hunting with me. We do you know, like looking for morels and things like that. We both have a taste for morel mushrooms. So that's something that we like to do together. Um, but you know, all jokes aside, she does know that that's like who I am, you know, that's kind of what she signed up for, <laughs> you know, in, in a way. Um, but I try to be, you know, kind of respectful of, of her time and things like that. And, uh, you know, we do stuff together, um, as, as a, as a couple, but she knows that, you know, come September, it's kind of hard to, uh, to, to wrangle me in, you know, I take about half the month off to go out, to go out West and then I'm home for a couple of weeks and then October rolls around late October. And then I'm, I'm bouncing around to tree stands, but fortunately my whitetail hunts are, are close to home. So I'm, I'm home for, for dinner most nights. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I normally don't make the dinner, but, uh, the promise is, is, uh, most of the time, unless I kill something, I'm going to be home around bedtime. So being able yeah. to tuck the kid, help tuck the kids in, or just at least just help wrangle them in, uh, more than anything. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I try, uh, sometimes the further I travel away, it doesn't happen, but, um, she, she's still pretty forgiving on that aspect of it. So I got to ask you though, like, are your plans to go out, uh, out West somewhere this year? Did you draw a tag? You doing OTC? What are you doing? Well, that's funny. You should mention that. I, uh, so I applied for a tag out West this year out in Colorado and because of the way I applied, I did not draw on my first choice. I applied for a preference point first and then my second choice, um, which was, it was a unit that was hundred percent draw odds for zero points, which is what I had going in. And so I didn't draw that tag and come to find out, and this kind of makes sense is that, you know, the hundred percent draw odds for like a zero point unit with a hundred percent chance of drawing is kind of predicated on you making that your first choice. And it's kind of based on last year's or previous year's mm -hmm. draw statistics. So it's, even if you do make it your first choice, you're technically not guaranteed. Um, I've watched just in the last couple of years, 
several over-the-counter units or zero-point units turn into draw units in, yep. in just the state of Colorado. And I know it's changing a lot in other states, and I haven't really followed a lot of them. I just, from the chatter I hear on, you know, online or whatever, I'll, you know, some states are, what, what is it, like Idaho, uh, I think just like they open up on December 1st um, to get their tags and like, you know, they crash, people crash the internet trying to get their tags and it's kind of over in one day or whatever, where a couple of years ago, you could just drive to Idaho and buy over the counter. And now it's just, you know, the popularity of Western big game hunting is, is even in the short time that I've, you know, when I took this on, when I started like, you know, I'm going to go OTC big game elk, you know, archery DIY. I, I, yeah, I thought I was the only one going. I didn't know. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know everybody else had the same damn idea. Like if I'd have gone in 2006, it'd have been a different story, but I waited till, you know, 2016 or, you know, 2019 was the first year I went and I, you know, and I was following some content and these other guys and stuff. And it looked like it was getting some popularity, but Holy smokes, has it gotten popular? And so you know, kind of answer your question in a long form. Um, so I did not draw on the first try. However, there were dozens of tags that got turned back in to this unit. And so I reapplied for Colorado's second draw, which was as you know, today's the, the 22nd as we're recording this, but um I so I put in for the second draw. So I got a you know, like I said, there's like five or six dozen tags for this particular tag that got turned in. So I'm feeling pretty confident that I'm gonna get this. Uh, unit my nephew he's a Colorado resident he actually drew the tag so we got one guy <laughs> with a tag and one guy without right now uh, so that's what we're kind of faced with if I don't draw on the second draw he's going to turn his tag in and we're going to go over the counter but I, I, again fingers crossed I'm, I'm going to be out there uh, you know in a draw unit this year yeah I almost don't want to do the over the counter anymore because it's like anybody that doesn't get a draw unit. Now, I know that's going to, the dynamic's going to change as more units become draw units. It's either going to force more people to apply and ease up the pressure in some of those over the counter units, or it's just going to make it worse. And we're going to have to just kind of wait and see where that direction yeah. goes. Because obviously, as we've seen, it could go either way, really. Um, and and I'm wondering though, like some of the units, like uh, in like Southern Colorado and stuff like that, that I've kind of uh, been around before, if, and they've recently become draw units. It's like, yeah, I'm wondering if it's going to make it better, or or if uh, you know it's going to put pressure on some of them other units that are right next to it, and either help it or make it worse or drive the elk into the draw unit. Like it's a, it's a weird dynamic that you're, you're yeah. not going to know, you know, I mean, if you look at it, like you were saying, Idaho, one of those States to where, yeah, like you said, five years ago, you probably could have drove over there, picked up an over the counter tag, hunted it. Same thing with Utah, Utah's changing. Like, I don't think there's going to be too much over the counter hunting at all anymore. Uh, it's kind of yeah. weird, but the cool part is, is like Kentucky. I don't know if you put in for that one, but it's 10 bucks, man. <laughs> yeah. $10. Your odds of same drawing thing. are like nothing, but the fact that you could draw and like the for 10 bucks, yeah, for 10 bucks, <laughs> the, the amount of pressure that those elk see is like almost none to where, yeah. I mean, they don't have pressure. They stay around They're ginormous bulls like you know somebody dropping like a 300 out in colorado would be super stoked as an over-the-counter you know diy guy from the midwest but like 
you got a real opportunity to drop in like a 400 inch bowl. <laughs> in, yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? In Kentucky or, you know, in Pennsylvania or something like that's insane. Like that's yeah, crazy. I gotta do that. I, I need to do that. Cause that's a lot closer of a drive than yeah. in Colorado from Ohio. So <laughs> yeah, I could do that in a weekend. So, That'd be great. I got oh, a buddy be back Sunday. <laughs> I got a buddy uh, that uh, lives out in Colorado, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to return the favor to all you Midwesterners. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to apply to every state that allows it in the Midwest, and I'm even going to apply to the East Coast to get back at all you yeah. guys, too. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah, funny, but good for him. Around. Yeah. You know, and hey, who knows? Maybe guys from out west will start traveling east as the herds grow and the numbers get bigger or whatever. That'd be cool. Ease up the yeah. pressure out there, you know, whatever. Yeah. Let them drive around on the roads in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let them ruin that state. <laughs> but that's the thing with public land out there, though. You know, because I, I thought the same thing. I'm like, man, I don't want to go over the counter. But the, the fact of the matter is, as much as it sounds pressured, there's still a lot of opportunity. I don't think people understand or fathom the scope of some of these units are just massive, you know, like we're talking hundreds of thousands of acres in a single over the counter unit. And, you know, yeah, there's going to be a lot of trucks and stuff like that at the trailhead. And I, I saw it in the one unit I was hunting a couple of years ago that was over the counter and, and looking at back and kind of in retrospect, it's like, you know, if I'd have just put forth a little bit more effort, I think I could have gotten back in and just away from those crowds. I'm not saying you always have to go five miles deep or whatever, but I, you know, my opinion, I, I think a lot of guys probably don't make it past that mile and a half barrier, you know, um, to kind of get back in there. And I just think there's a lot more opportunities, uh, in, in over the counter, but it is getting crowded. You know, I've, I've talked to some guys that, you know, used to drive on old two tracks that they were the only ones that knew about. And now they're parking lots, you know, guys have yeah. found them and they've turned them into parking lots big enough to hold literally dozens of trailers and horse trailers. And, you know, it's just kind of the, you know, it's gotten popular. Everybody wants to do it. Um, and so everyone's, you know, everyone's doing it right now. It's, it's, it's the, the you know, the DIY OTC solo backcountry whatever thing it's still it's still very much a thing yeah for sure yeah um that's like I was talking to somebody and they were telling me that they've hunted one of the units in Colorado almost every year consistently for the past 26 years and they said they went back this year and I don't know if it was because they're the unit that next to where they were hunting or something finally turned into a draw unit and he said it was insanity so he said he's going on a trip somewhere out west i can't remember where and on his way back he's going to scout through a few units that he hadn't been to in probably 20 years that are still over the counter just to try and find some new opportunities to uh yeah to hunt yeah and he was telling me like like you said a couple two tracks that they used to be on are now gravel roads and, uh, you know, turned into something to where anybody can get up um, and and no longer need a four-wheel drive vehicle. And he said that's definitely changed the dynamic of that whole area. And he said, I mean, and the thing is, though, is, I mean, this guy's been hunting elk for that long, and he's got quite a bit of success under his belt. And he's told me, he's like, even in that area, he goes, I was still in elk. 
they were still bugling every morning. I had encounters. He said, I just passed on them because it wasn't what I wanted. I've been hunting for 26 years. It's not like it was, you know, he said, if like it was me going with them, he goes, it'd be a completely different story. I guarantee you, you'd put down one of those elk. And he goes, that's fine. Yeah. You know? And uh, I told him, I said, I would, any legal bull would be on the ground for sure. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm not there. Yeah, I'm not at that level. And I think that's one of <laughs> the either. things. You know what I mean? Like that's one of the things uh, that, that a lot of people don't understand or they, they they make fun of or mock. You know, they don't understand like what level yeah. people are at, you know, and there's, there's so many different aspects to hunting. And it's kind of crazy because it makes me think of another thing that uh, like the divisiveness of, of like trad bow hunters versus oh, – yeah. uh, or just Compound. even even like you know certain groups or clubs that even though they are doing great things for the hunting world and and pushing for certain legislation, but at the same time they're pushing for legislation to ban certain things, uh, you know, and, and get rid of crossbows yeah. or or make separate seasons for crossbows or make them the same time as muzzleloaders. And it's like, those people have every right to be there just like you do. And if they're really changing the dynamic of the game so much, like some people claim, you know, Oh, it's, you, you got a, you know, a six year old that once you get that crossbow sighted in, now they can kill an elk. Well, good. Good for that six year old that they get that opportunity. <laughs> you know what I mean? They right, still got to yeah. put in the work to get back there and get on that animal. It's no different. You know, yeah, and it's so not people, a yeah, yeah, so people try and say that or try and make it that that point to make it valid, and it's just like, leave it alone, man. <laughs> yeah, there, there's, there's good and bad to all of that. Um, you know, I've got my opinions on the crossbow thing, but I've got friends and family that hunt with them. You know, so when we get into deer camp, that's what they have, and you know, other than just the general ribbing, you know, that people get for oh, you know, lazy crossbow hunters or whatever, you know. I'm not, I'm not the type of person that, you know, puts a lot into it. It's kind of like a Ford versus Chevy kind of thing. Like I don't get really big into the, I understand like the rivalry part of certain aspects, but I also understand that there's a, like it can get really ugly and that's going to be the detriment to hunting more than anything. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a point to be made for, well, if we, in Ohio crossbow crossbows are legal, if we just got rid of crossbows, then maybe you know, we'd eliminate certain problems, but you know, the deer herd would get better, but yeah, it would, but you know, it's getting to the point now where it's deer numbers are going down. So they say, so some of the reports are saying CWD is kind of on the rise, even in, you know, near where I live, which is scary. Um, it it just, yeah, I think it all depends. It's all the, the person behind the weapon, honestly, you know, how they were raised, the ethics, the morals, um, like I said, I have friends and family that hunt with crossbows and muzzleloaders and rifles and all of that. And at the end of the day, if you're, you know, you're following the game laws and you're, you're hunting respectfully, you know, and responsibly, and you're taking care of the, the land as you walk in and as you walk out, then, you know, uh, I'm with you. That's kind of the way I was raised. You know, I mean, we're always going to, like I said, we're always going to have those little rivalries of, of brands and things like that. And, and that's fine. But I think it's gotten really out of hand with the bickering about this brand of camo versus that brand of camo and just like <laughs> fighting over it, you know, bow brand versus bow brand packs, you know, backpack brand, this and backpack brand that fighting over. Yeah. Jesus, man. It's like, it's, you know, and it's like when I first started doing this, hell, ever since I was a kid, I'm 45. So, you know, ever since I was a kid, 
you know, I wanted to be in the hunting industry. I used to film my own hunts with a VHS recorder. You know, I've got a ton of old footage and I've, you know, I used to talk to the camera and, you know, what I mean? do all that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we all wanted that. We all, anybody that grows up hunting that doesn't want their own show is a liar and you know, everybody wants to have like their own show or whatever. Right. And now we've got, you know, now we've got phones and we can just like walk around and do like these videos, you know, and, uh, and it's cool. Uh, but the more, the more I, I, with the podcast, especially that was a big eye opener when you get into the industry and I'm not into the, I'm not in the industry by, by any stretch, but I've, I've got more access than the average guy, you know, and you, I'm sure you, you can, can relate to that. You've got more access to, to, you know, influencers, quote, quote, influencers of people of, of influence within the hunting industry, more so than just the regular guy sending them a DM, you know, and have these conversations and you start to see in the industry and realize a couple of things. One that I've realized is, especially when I used to race uh, off-road quite a bit, the similarities of the off-road racing industry and the hunting industry are that once you're in it for a while, it gets really, really small. It's a lot smaller it, than it, you think. And it's, it's a lot smaller <laughs> than you think. Everybody knows everybody. Um, even the, com- the competing, you know, pack companies and camel companies, there's reps from each of those companies that have dinner together. There's reps from those opposing companies and salesmen or people that hunt together, you know, and when you go in bashing one company to another, it's like, hey, you're bashing that guy's friend, you know, and they talk next thing, you know, you're blacklisted off the entire, you know, and, it, and it's funny, you know, some of the stories I've heard and, and I won't mention names, um, you know, the best, the best podcasts I always say are the ones that happen after the stop button gets hit, but, uh, <laughs> you know, as well as I do, know, that is true. It, yeah, yeah. The best podcasts are the ones that you'll never hear Timmy, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, and I realized that I don't want to be in the hunting industry whatsoever. I've gotten some, some cool, you know, I've met some cool people and yeah, with the podcast, there's been, you know, some gear come my way, which I'm, super thankful for and the, some opportunities and things like that. But the big, you know, ROI for me is helping people. You know, uh, I just did a podcast a couple hours ago with a young man from Michigan. That's, you know, doesn't have any, um, he doesn't have any mentors, you know, he's in his twenties, early twenties, and he's a, a brand new hunter all around. He didn't grow up in any kind of hunting family at all. And so to be able to talk with him and, and hear his questions and how, like all his questions are like brand new first, you know, everything's a first for him, you know, and I find that very um, appealing to me as someone that's, you know, grew up in it, you know? So my thing right now at 45 is like just trying to help somebody out, you know, with the podcast, it's just trying to put out information, even if that, that price I'm paying right now is, you know, with my Western hunts over the last few years, I haven't killed an elk yet and I've failed a lot. You know, I've come off the mountain early, you know, I went out there with a big head thinking I'm going to be captain solo <laughs> hunter. And then I end up like, you know, getting out there in day two and I'm like, I miss my wife. You know what I mean? You know, I don't, and, and I like, don't I'm not saying I love my wife, <laughs> but, but uh, <laughs> I haven't had those feelings, but I've had a hunting partner who has, and it's, it's, yeah. it's changed. It changed the dynamic and uh, he wasn't at the same level. He was not at the same level I was as far as the outdoors. Uh, you know, he he may have done his research more, but there just wasn't that edge that he needed yeah. to be out there long enough. And and that uh, that definitely changes things. You know, um, a- to, absolutely. To where it it it, 
I can, I see where you're coming from. You know, I mean, I witnessed it firsthand. We ended up calling my hunt two days early because of that. And, uh, and my wife yeah. was happy that I came home, you know, but at the right. same time yeah. it was like, man, did, what, if, what if I could have capitalized on the last two days? What if I wouldn't have went up that extra 2000 feet in elevation right there where I said I was going to climb that hill, you know, and drop down into that metal? What could have happened? I, I don't know. I'll never know. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, it could have yeah. been a bust. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah. Since but at you least left, you did and, it, you know. And that's one yeah. of the things that, you know, when I first started doing this, you know, I, I and I admit this on the podcast, just to like save somebody else from the 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 frustration is, you know, getting so wrapped up in gear and getting so wrapped up in the romanticism of this Western big game hunting and you know, not thinking about like the mental aspect of it, because it is challenging. You know, you are away from the wife, the kids, you know, some of these people get so wrapped up in all the gear and stuff. They don't realize they've never even been away from home, you know, and not to say that I've never been away from home, but never driven, you know, halfway across the country by yourself, you know, drive 1500 miles one way and then go camp up in the middle of literally in the middle of a wilderness area and then have the sun go down on you for the first time at night. And like, Tell that me gives that's me not the like feels. Ex- <laughs> oh, dude. It gives me the good dude. feels. It makes yeah. me want to be there oh. right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, you know, it's taken me a few years and I, I've gotten to the point now where I'm like, I can't wait to leave. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like, I know like one of the bigger challenges I've had is, you know, breaking away from that, that, that home life or <clears throat> that anxiety of, going back into their solo into a, a place I've never been, um, it, you know, and just like I said, those mental challenges that kind of like have talked me right out of the mountain due to, you know, piss poor planning, you know, not having a, a structured plan for the week and just kind of like rambling around the mountain. You know, the one year was more of like a, a, a hiking around with a bow on my back kind of a thing. And, um, <laughs> you know, that was a good lesson learned because I just, <clears throat> I got, <clears throat> excuse me, super frustrated because I didn't have a plan. I didn't know where to go. So I'm just kind of like got my hands in my pockets for like a few days. And I was like, yeah, nuts to this. I'm going home. You yeah. know what I mean? And then halfway, you know, into Kansas, I'm like, where the hell am I going home? You know, did you turn like, it around? No, but I should oh, have, man. See, that's, I should, that's where I Mark should have. to say our friend Mark comes in handy, right? The whole entire thing. He's got the tree line Academy. That's no BS. Like, I mean, I remember when I reached out to him the first time, just reaching out to him, talking to him about how yeah. his YouTube videos, this is no BS. Hey, man, I've watched your YouTube videos like four times. The The content in there is just amazing. You've helped yeah. me change my whole idea of elk hunting, you know, and like I'm sure he loved just like you said, you know, you know. You're, you're just some guy putting stuff out there and somebody actually likes it and, and you get that feedback. And, and I've got a few of those uh, messages too. And it's like, I don't know who you are, but thank you. Like, thank you for saying that, that you like what I'm yeah. doing, what I'm putting out there, that, that I'm adding value to you. And that, that's cool. Like, that's a good feeling. So, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, did, I did the same thing with, with, with Mark and, you know, I, I found, I think it was the following season. I found his, uh, his e-scouting course. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, when he talked about, uh, you know, he talks about a lot of stuff. It's an extensive <laughs> your course. Plan, it's a, knowing your limitations, right? It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I was like, damn it. I didn't know my limitations, <laughs> you know, I like hunt plan. What's a hunt plan? You know, I didn't have a hunt. I just, my plan was to go out there and hunt, you know, but you know, when you're out there for days, it's easy to, you know, it, it's easy to let your mind wander and, and wander into the negative, you know, yeah. and not having a, a structured plan for where we're going to go a plan a, B and C if plan a doesn't work plan B doesn't work. Like, cause you can, you can rip through plan A and B in like a day and a half, you know, and still have four days to go. And if you're not mentally in the game, you know, you're tired, you say you, maybe you miss the family or, or you just, you haven't talked to anybody, you know, I'm a social kind of a person. So it's like, I got to have some form of communications, uh, you know, at some point in time. Uh, and then the level of expectation of going back, like everybody says they want to go back for five days or, or, or more. But after day two or three, you know what I mean? That's like, that's one of those uh, like gut check reality checks. And that, and that happened to me out there, you know, that absolutely happened to me out there. That first year I went, I was just telling a guy, I've told the story in the podcast where uh, I spent all this money on clothing and gear, went out and met a friend, a hunting partner, and he got really, really sick on the, the day before day one, the night, oh. you know, we rolled into camp, got sick in the middle of the night. Long story short, he's like, I got to go. And he left, you know, and we followed each other up. So I had my own truck, uh, but he took off and said, I'm not coming back after he got down in elevation. He's, I don't know where he stayed or whatever, but he's like, I'm, you know, I, I'm sorry, man, you know, just, I'm not going to make it. So it turned it into a solo hunt and was not prepared for that. Was it altitude I didn't even, or? I don't know, man. I, I really don't know. Violently throwing up Oof. every, every hour on the hour to the point where he just like, I got to go. And, um, yeah. And so I, I turned it into a solo hunt. I didn't have any kind of communication device. I spent all this money on <laughs> gear and cool stuff that I thought I needed to have uh, a floorless shelter with a stove and, you know, all this stuff. And then, uh, you know, expensive clothes and didn't even have a communication device to, to message home. You know, like I said, when the, when the sun went down on day one in the mountains by myself for the first time and it got dark, that was like the scariest shit. That was like the scariest thing. Yeah. Cause I'm like, oh, it's, it's, I got to get in my tent now, dark you know, tent. and I got in there and I got the, yeah, my tarp and I, I got the stove going and got the fire going. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be Okay. Cause it was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. It was the first time, you know, I hadn't slept in a tent since I was a kid, like 30 years prior, you know? So there was like all these firsts that that's like, I bought this mummy style sleeping bag and, uh, never slept in one of those before. In fact, I didn't like it. You know, I when I got in there, I'm, bags. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I hate this thing. Why did I buy this? The stupidest thing ever. I like it now. Like I'm totally used to it now. I could crawl in there right now and go to sleep in it. But that first year and a half, the first two years, really, I was like, why did I buy this thing? This is stupid. And, um, you know, so I've gotten used to, it. I got rid of the, the floorless shelter because floorless shelters are stupid. And, uh, <laughs> cause they let bugs in. They do. Depends on the they time are. of year you're hunting. I mean, if you're Dude, hunting I, in like winter, it's perfect. But, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Springtime, yeah, not, not the greatest. Plus yeah. depending on what kind of grade you're on, you might be getting water rushing through your uh, tent without a tub on it. So yeah. Or a squirrel dropping yeah. a deuce inside your sleeping bag. That's okay. Because no worked. big deal. Yeah. Squirrel. Yeah, it's just a squirrel. I mean, shit. <laughs> Could have caught him and ate him, but. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. This isn't alone. 
Well, I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess, you know, different strokes for different things, folks. But <laughs> Yeah, that was one of the things, too. It was in, it was 2020, I think. I got, I got into my, I opened up my sleeping bag and there was like mouse drop. I think it was a mouse. It was just droppings everywhere inside my sleeping bag. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And then I ended up seeing him like an hour later and it's like, kill him. Uh, you know, ants, Get ants are crawling in my sleeping bag, like the big black, like the big black carpenter ants. Yeah. I don't know this if I have... fire ants or a bullet ant, right? Like, yeah, it could have been. <laughs> you way gotta worse, count your I blessings suppose. there. Yeah, like, good that, that's a win. <laughs> that's a win <laughs> in my book. Carpenter ants, high in protein. No, yeah. not a lot of work. Uh, what's what do they call that? The people that eat the uh, entomorphology. I think is oh, what it's yeah. called. You know, hey, <laughs> yeah. you got a campfire, just toast them up a little bit, crunch on them. You actually might be surprised that the taste that they give off might be a little fruitiness to them, like a yeah, raisin. Yeah, somebody said they taste like lemon. Maybe. Uh, those yeah. ants, if you bite them, they taste like lemon. But I'll I'll take their word for it. Perfect <laughs> I time. I ended up selling that shelter. I ended up selling that as soon as I got home. I ended up selling it and taking that money uh, that I got for the shelter and the stove and ended up buying a, a really nice two-man tent. And uh, I haven't looked back since. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. So, like, when when I was in my teens, we used to camp out, like, all the time. There was, like, an island in the woods that we'd drive to. You'd have to drive through the creek to get there and nice. just, like, set up and camp, big bonfires. We never used tents. We would have like a piece of visqueen and a couple blankets. We'd take yeah. rocks that were in the fire, bury them under the dirt, and like just put our blanket on top of that. Oh, nice. And lay on it and lay next to the fire. And I mean, most of the time we were drinking until almost the sun came up anyway. So it was only a few hours of sleep, let's be real. <laughs> right, yeah. But but I mean, there were times where it wasn't that much drinking and it was just like sitting around the fire BSing or, you know, kill a squirrel and eat it and whatever. Like just, you know, yeah. buddies doing doing cool wood stuff. But like I've come to realize that not everybody has done that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I yeah. had the hardest time when I got my first mummy bag. I'm like, this is too tight. I had to purposely buy another one and I bought it and it was like, I used a discount card or something that somebody gave me so I couldn't return it. So now I'm stuck with this sleeping bag that you either like yeah. sell it or you give it. I gave it to my wife. I'm like, here, babe, if you ever want to go camping, here's the yeah. sleeping bag. I bought <laughs> you bag. one and yeah. then uh, bought another one for myself and like had to find out that like, I don't really like the mummy style, but if you get a bigger one and it's an XL, you have more room in the footbed and, and different things like that to, to kind of like find workarounds. And then I'd never really slept in a tent that much either. Like I said, it was mostly outside piece of visqueen over the top of you. So you don't get yeah. the dew on you in the morning. You're not wet and just like get up and go. But tents are a different game too. And trying to figure out ventilation in the tent. So you don't get the dew and your bag doesn't get wet and don't letting stuff touch the sides of it. Like that's a whole new dynamic that I had to learn you know, and then, yeah. and then to be honest, I've never winter camped. Like my first elk hunt was a third, second, or I think it was a second or third season when it was real weird because the week before they got hammered with like 
I don't know, a foot of snow, and then the sun came out and melted it all by the time I got there. So it was just like muddy and wet, but at night it was still dropped down into the 20s. Like oh, wow. it was a strange dynamic. I mean, I was fine through it because I had a good sleeping bag. My hunting partner was not. He even brought two bags. And then at the end <laughs> of it, and I remember telling my wife, like, man, he was always so cold at night and blah, blah, blah. And yes, he was from Texas. So like, it, you know, obviously his blood was thinner than mine, but um, she goes, why didn't you just trade bags with him then? Because I was complaining the whole time about how my bag was, I was always so hot and I'd unzip it. And I was yeah. like, that's the workaround I actually learned though. And that's like a good learning experience for somebody else. You don't like a mummy bag? Take a whoopie with you. I take a whoopie yeah. with me and I unzip that mummy bag and I put the whoopie inside and like kick my leg out and it keeps my leg warm enough with that whoopie, but it still keep me cool enough at the same time. So like that's the workaround I found for having a mummy bag and having more room in it. Yeah. I, I'm not a really big guy. So like the, the bag size works. I've just kind of learned to like roll around in it, you know, to, to a certain <laughs> extent, you know what I mean? It's like, how do you roll over in it? Well, you just roll over. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Um, but I, you know, like I said, I, it's one of those things I just kind of got used to, but yeah, I can, I sometimes find myself unzipped because I sleep hot. Yeah. You know, I don't wear, even when it's cold, I don't wear a lot of layers. Some guys like will get into the bag with their clothes on and say, ha ha, can't do that. Like I can't wear socks. <laughs> I'm gonna be you know, and it's just September. <laughs> I have to sleep can't. naked. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I get too hot. Like clothes. I don't know how people wear like a t-shirt and stuff to bed. Like that's too much. Yeah. <laughs> it's too hot. Yeah. It's too hot. Yeah. I'm kind of. I'm kind of the same way. And in September, I mean, it does get cool out. Um. So I'll throw like a beanie on my head just because my head will end up getting cold. So I always do that. Like a, a, yeah. I always do that. I always put a beanie on. But that was like one of the things we would do. When we were sleeping outside, you put a beanie on your head, you got a couple blankets, you got the warm rocks underneath you. So now you're not like, you don't have that conduction side. The earth isn't sucking the heat out of your body because those warm rocks are in the ground heating it, you know, like just things like that. And you got enough layers on top of you with, you know, just one or two blankets and a piece of visqueen. But like, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. And obviously you're going to bring a sleeping bag because you're not going to have guaranteed to have a fire. What if something, you know, a, a snowstorm blows in and you can't have a fire? Well, how are you going to stay warm? <laughs> you need that sleeping bag. You need that puffy yeah. layer in your backpack, you know, and that's exactly. stuff you learn. But if you don't know, man, that's going to be a tough, uh, tough ride. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm learning. Like I said, I, I got to do a lot of that stuff when I was a kid, you know, the Boy Scouts. And like you said, when I was a teenager, hanging with the guys, you know, camping out behind mom and dad's place out in the woods or whatever. And, you know, but as far as like that real experience, you know, um, didn't really have that until just a couple of years ago. So it's like, geez, I'm just trying to get like the, the, there's so much to learn, you know, and I was telling this guy on this other podcast that, you know, the things I've learned that, that doesn't, that don't even really get talked about because there's so many layers to like this backpack style of hunting more so than just, you know, whitetail hunting here in the Midwest. There's so much logistics. There's so much planning. There's so many of these nuanced things that I didn't even think about that. Now I do, like you said, like the taking the, you know, the whoopee, you know, as opposed to a mummy bag or using it in conjunction with, so you can have a that flexibility and, you know, all these small things, you know, I thought I needed a floorless shelter at the time. Then I realized I don't really need one. They're great. Like you said, they're great in the winter time or October when it's, when it's cold and you can get a fire going, but I haven't really needed a fire in, in September in Colorado. I mean, it gets yeah. chilly at night, but 
you know, you crawl into your sleeping bag and zip it up. And, you know, once the sun comes up over the mountains, it's like oh, 70 degrees again. Yeah. It's <laughs> you know a what I mean? strange like, thing. It, it's yeah, cool though. It, it's cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you've been doing this quite a bit longer than. No, I've than, only had a couple, couple trips out West. So it's not like I've been doing it longer than you. Just gotcha. You know, like, when was the first year you went out? I think it was like 2018. So not. Is oh, yeah, the I think year it was before 2018. <laughs> yeah, so it was the year before you did. Uh, Southern Colorado, you know, um, yeah. kind of cool place down there. San Juan's are awesome mountains, you know. Yeah, that's a lot where of I was ground last to cover. Year. Yeah, a lot of yeah, ground to cover. Where, yeah, we were in the San Juan's last year. That's a that's a that's a beautiful area uh, down there. It's very very rugged. <laughs> it's very. It's very rough. Those topo lines look a lot different on a map than they do when you get oh. there and you're staring up at them going, yeah, yeah it was 2,000 yeah. feet, but what the heck is this? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 200 feet isn't really like the 200 feet at home. Like, oh, we just got to go up about 400 feet and there's water and you get like 60 feet into it. And it's just like, if Puffing. I have to step over Puffing. one more of these damn telephone pole sized dead pine trees because we were hunting this in a, in a burn area and it's just like a sea of it there's like no getting around any of them you know and it's just like like mentally that like broke me i was just like you gotta be shitting me you know but it's just one of those 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 new things and uh yeah yeah and we're prepared for it now like it's just that it was just an experience i had to have you know we got into a lightning storm uh in july last year doing a scouting trip and, you know, and it was in the, we were hiking, we hadn't even set up camp yet. And we were hiking, it was getting dark and the rains came, then it turned into hail. And next thing, you know, lightning coming over the, over the ridge, you know, and, and, um, you know, we were safe and we, we got out unscathed, but it was just like one of those like firsts, you know, that I hadn't experienced yet. And it was a little bit like, whoa you know what i mean like just intense like we talk about it now and it's cool <laughs> you know like remember that lightning but like at the time it's just like dude chuck your trucking poles because they might like conduct electricity oh you were out so, in it like you weren't oh, in a we shelter were, or anything oh, you were just no. got caught in it no we we actually were side hilling across this this mountain trying to get to this other spot and we found this flat spot on the map but we had to drop down into this huge ditch basically you know this drainage come down and we, we had to literally crawl out of that. And now it's starting to rain a little bit harder, but we could hear the lightning and the thunder in the distance. And we get up to this spot and it was literally like, now it's like raining, raining. Neither one of us talked. We dropped our packs. We both just like as fast as we could without talking, set up our tents. And by the time I was like zipping up and like getting in the tent, that's when the lightning was like, and I can't, I can't, it's like, we're in this like cathedral, you know what I mean? The, yeah. the mount, yeah. And it's the light. If you've never been in the mountains with lightning, like really intense lightning and hearing it, it's an experience that I can never, like, I've been in some way crazy lightning storms here in Ohio and it's loud and it's bright or whatever, but like up there, like above 10,000 feet, when it, it just seems like it's so unfiltered. And then like the noise that bounces off the mountains is, uh, yeah like i've never i've never heard or seen anything before or since and it like because we get in the tent and here's the you probably relate to this we get in the tent and uh my nephew mike he's like hey man are you okay and we're like yelling at each other we're only like eight feet away because it's like really loud out and i'm like yeah and he's like you know what's funny because he was in the marines he's seen combat he's been in some real like intense situations right 
So he's, he's been in some, you know, this is not <laughs> that stressful for him compared to like, you know, and here I am just like, kind of like light, lightweight freaking out. And he's like, you know, what's funny. And I'm like, what? He's like, he's like, how comfortable are you right now? He's like, now that you're in the tent. And I'm like, surprisingly comfortable. He's like, it's weird, isn't it? Like that little layer of <laughs> fabric around you. He's like, it feels like you're in your house right now. doesn't it? I'm like, yeah, that's weird. He's like, I know, man, it's crazy, but it's just like, it's like that it's all in your head. Yep. Like once I got in my tent, I was like, no, oh, I'm not going to die anymore. Even though I could have possibly died. Yeah. The tent's not going to stop little... the electricity. <laughs> no, no, but there's that, like that mental thing in your head. It's like, all I have to do is zip this door closed and I'm safe. Kind of like when the kid runs upstairs from the basement and he's got to like click the light off or whatever, you know, uh, it, it was kind of like, it was one of those things where it's like, once I was in the tent, the lightning was still go crazy. It was raining, but I was like, you know, eating a cookie. And I was okay, you know, so it's like, huh, there's like a mental, there's like a mental aspect Isn't to it, weird? you know, like it is how, fact, how we've disconnected ourselves so much from all of those things, those little tiny, like nuance inconveniences or, yeah. or even semi scary things. Like we've, we've isolated ourselves so Big much time. that, that 90% of the population will probably never experience anything like that or no. like that go through life not knowing that fear and and it just it, it boggles my mind it's so crazy or or even discomfort like people's air conditioner goes out and they're like oh i'm gonna die like yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> what do you think they yeah. did a hundred years ago you know exactly I mean? yeah crazy. we're so even even now with cell phones like, like i said i'm 45 so i obviously know life before cell phones it's like, how did we, how did we get like community? Like if I left the house 25 years ago, like no one was getting a hold of me until I got home. You, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> maybe if, even if I was home, I, I was hopefully in the right room to answer the damn phone. Now yeah. this son of a bitch goes with me everywhere I go. It's in my pocket. It's a GPS unit. It's, it's all these things. And if like the phone dies, it's like, Rah! you know, you freak out about it. And, it, and it's funny. It is funny. We laugh about it, but you know, and a book that I, I read, um, uh, it's called the comfort crisis. Have Michael you read that Easter. yet? Yeah. It's a good book. It's incredible yeah. book. Incredible. A lot. I, I told him when I had him on the show, I was like, I, cause I got his book right before I left and I should have just bought the audio version and listened to it on the way out to Colorado last year. That probably would have changed a lot of things. Cause it just shed a lot of perspective on, mental toughness and the games we play in our own minds, um, talking ourselves out of the mountain, like you said, because we just haven't experienced, and there's a lot of psychological, you know, uh, theories and scientific theories behind a lot of, you know, chemical makeup. And he, he goes into a lot of really great detail and explaining some of that stuff, uh, with his research. And, um, and, and it really boils down to just being in your head. In fact, I had, um, Kip Folks uh on the show he's the co-creator of under armor mm -hmm. and so and, and this is an intense dude if you're if you've not followed him he's very intense he's a one of the most driven individuals it, just when you talk to him you can tell that this guy zero bullshit right just work ethic like crazy no no kind of bs uh no excuses for anything it's just go after it get after it and i kind of like shared with him you know, some of my challenges and, and basically kind of the way he brought it up was like, you know, you're 
your mind is trying to kill you. <laughs> your mind is trying to like talk you off the mountain because it's scared. It wants your body to get in the truck and go home because that's where it's safe. So you can get those little endorphins to say, oh, I'm safe. That's why when people come off early or whatever, like it's terrible when you're on the mountain and you're like lonely, sad, you miss your old lady or whatever. And then when you get in the truck, you're like, ah, crack open a Coke or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, and that was, or you go into town and get a cheeseburger and then you, you go back or whatever, which I've, I've experienced both of those things. But it's like, it's funny because when you get to that point, like you're fine now, like where the hell were you half an hour ago? Like you were having like this little mini meltdown over there, but now you're back at the truck and you're, you're fine. You know, and, and like I said, Mike and I, you know, I was really honest about some of those things. And I try to be on the podcast just because it's like, I know there's going to be a dude that's going to go out there this year. And he's going to be just like me. He's going to go out there and he's going to expect all these things based on what YouTube showed him, you know, <laughs> and he's going to go out there and just get throttled in $2,000 worth of Sitka. And he's going to be like, damn it. I spent all this money and clothes and I just got like mentally beat down because this is an experience I've never had before. And I don't, I don't want that for anybody because the mountains are awesome. Like I just, I love it that much, you know? And, uh, my time out there is very valuable. You know, in the times that I bailed early, I'll never get those extra, like you said, I'll never get those extra days back. Who knows what would have happened if I had just grounded out for that two more days, maybe I'd have connected on the, on a bowl, or maybe I yep. just filled a tag with a cow or, or you just don't know, yep. you know, and then you beat yourself up on the way home, which I'm telling you guys right now, the beating of yourself up and that feeling of like the disappointment in yourself is way greater than like the fear of like, the dark or the, this, the loneliness of, you know, you're missing your, your wife, which my wife is like, I didn't miss you at all. You know, like, she's like, I was planning a party before you came, you know, got home or whatever. Um, but it's like, you get back and like nothing, nothing changed, you, nope. you know, and stuff like that. Like your job's still there. Your family's doing just fine. They don't really miss you that much. And, you know, you're, you're, you're cutting yourself short on a, on an incredible opportunity by, by bailing. Um, but there are so many different layers to this type of hunting. It's just, uh, yeah, it's incredible. It's what keeps driving me back. So one of the things you, you mentioned was the whole cell phone and like how people freak out and stuff. Uh, and you said you remember life before cell phones. Well, do you remember when roaming used to happen? So when oh, my yeah. wife and I were first together and like even first married, she used to get super pissed off at me all the time. I mean, all the time. And, uh, is because I'd go somewhere, I'd just shut my cell phone off. So whether I was on a hog hunting trip or doing whatever it was that I was doing, I'd shut my phone off and nobody would hear from me until I got home or I was on the road home. Like, hey, I'm safe. I'm on my way home. I'll be home in, you know, six, eight hours, whatever it is. Yeah. I used to do that. And, and then I think it was like around the time we had our first kid and she was like, you cannot just disappear anymore like that's not your life you have responsibilities you're responsible for another yeah. life now you know and she had that talk with me and I was like okay don't be a stranger so every time I walk out the door now even if it's like for you know a two-day fishing trip or something she's like don't be a stranger every time every yeah. time she says that and it's just a reminder of like the days of old when I used to just I completely like go off the grid drop off the face of the map Nobody'd hear from me until it was time to come back. And uh, so it's it's kind of funny, though. Like, she was telling me, she's like, well, how am I going to communicate with you when you, you're out there in Colorado? You know, you're up on the mountain. Like, 
is it going to be like the old days? I'm just not going to hear from you. Now it's 10 days you're going to be gone instead of five. Like, And so right, yeah. I started doing research and found an inReach and purchased an inReach. So like I had a way to keep in touch with her the whole time. And like I had that that method and it was something that was pretty cool. You know, like once I got it, I started playing with it. I'd go on a hike at home. I'd hit her a message, you know, like, hey, I'm on the trailhead. And then just like hit her the message and she'd click on the map. And like she, once she realized like, hey, that text message you just sent me has a little thing. I can click on the link. I know exactly where you are. Like that changed the dynamic for me to give me more freedom to roam. And then, you know, when I went out West, it was like a whole new, new story. She knew she was going to hear from me twice a day, morning and night, you know, and if she didn't, something was wrong and that was kind of cool. So like, Peace of mind yeah, goes a long way. It, that was like one of the big hurdles that like I knew I had to overcome before leaving for that trip. And so I did that research and found that. And that was pretty neat to to definitely do that, you know. So yeah. I got to ask you and I'll tell you mine first and then see like if you agree with me. But like to any newer hunter that wants to do Western hunting, what would your advice be? And mine as far as gear, don't go crazy and spend a bunch of stuff. Don't buy cheap stuff. Buy once, cry once, but the biggest yeah. things I think are finding a good pair of boots, a good pack, and a good sleeping bag. What's what's yours? Yeah. It's gonna be about the same, man. I like I said I just got done doing the, almost this exact same podcast, so it's still fresh in my mind from like two hours ago. Um, yeah, boots because you're gonna wear them every day. Boots are an investment. You know, when I talk to you know, clients, you know, I say they're spending money and there's investing money you know, investing in a pair of boots, because it's going to be on your feet all day, every day, put the money in there. Like I said, buy once, cry once, um, in a good pair of socks, you know, really, really high quality pair of socks. Packs are the same way. You're going to have a pack on your back every day. Um, and if you're going to get into this type of hunting, you know, especially when it comes to load load out meat over miles, you want to have a pack that's going to be, you know, reliable, something that fits you well, has been fitted to you, uh, appropriately and uh, to know how to, to wear a pack properly. Um, but to, yeah, to spend the money, uh, invest that money in, in a good pack is definitely, um, you know, invaluable. And yeah, a good sleep system. Yeah. To come back to the tent at night or, or whatever shelter that you have to be able to crawl into that sleeping bag with maybe you like the mummy bag, cool, you know, or just the, the regular style bag, or, or maybe it is just a, a, a whoopee on top of a, you know, a, a pad of some sort, um, to have your sleep system dialed, I guess is, you know, and, and everything else can get kind of pieced together. We can deep dive down the gear trail for sure, but, uh, clothing doesn't really matter that yep. much. Um, it, it really doesn't. I mean, it's, it's good to pay attention to, you know, synthetics versus cottons and things like that. Obviously I, I think anybody listening to this probably knows enough to like, not just wear denim jeans, you know, everyone's kind of looking into that, the technical fabrics and the technical clothing, but, you know, I I go to Walmart right now and spend 20 bucks on a pair of those Wrangler, uh, outdoor adventure pants. I was going to ask you that (laughs) dude. I I, I was just telling this guy, uh, a couple hours ago, I said, you know, I called in the only bull that I've ever called in wearing a $20 pair of Wrangler adventure pants. So I found, (laughs) I got to tell you this because, because if you're a lover of the adventure pant, you have to check out Sam's Club has the Denali travel pant. Oh, 
Nice. $12. It's the same Ouch. pants. It's 12 no bucks. Kidding. Legit. Like six different, fi- or I'm sorry, five five colors. They got like a real, real dark. It's almost like a conifer, like a real, real dark green. Yeah. They've yeah. got uh, like a real dark khaki, a lighter khaki, uh, black, and I think like a real, real dark brown. But like lately, I've only seen two colors. It's like the black and the khaki. But either way, like... $12 for a pair of pants. I bought them like just one pair thinking like, well, let's check them out. I ended up going yeah. back. I went back there and bought Same. like six or seven pairs. I'm like, dude, <laughs> this is insane. Like no, no yeah. BS. They fit and feel just like the Prana freaking pants fit. Like whatever the, I can't remember what the Prana pant is. That's like the, the real, Zion. Yeah. The Zion pants. No BS. They feel just like them. The only difference is yeah. they have one less pocket. Yeah, yeah. I, I said I did the same thing with the, uh, the Wranglers. <laughs> I I bought the green pair. I tried them on. I'm like, I'm going back for the gray pair. And then I went back and I'm like, I gotta buy two more pairs of each. Yeah. So I did. <laughs> so I did. I got a pair that I own. Like it's in my hunting box, right under like you know two pairs of Sitka pants. But I'm like these, I can never like do without these pants because I still wear them hunting. I still wear them hiking and, yeah. and scouting and think like, don't get me wrong i spent the money on the sitka pants so i own them now so i'm not gonna not wear them right those are my those are my primary pants to wear when i go out west is the sitka mountain pant um but I, i'll that tell you Barco right now won't it, come back on your show ever again if you don't so i mean <laughs> right. let's be honest he'll, he'll he'll scold the shit out of me no uh yeah <laughs> he would probably prefer that i just you know not not have spent so much damn money right out of the gate uh and, and that was one of the things that we did talk about one of the first times i i had him on or whatever but uh yeah it, like i said for 20 bucks um i like those pants a, a lot yeah. you know the gray the gray ones are kind of like a the traditional like hiker loose fit kind of pant with like the dark green wranglers are more of like that tapered fit so if you like that kind of look and like i said i i called an elk in with them so they work. <laughs> they, they work for for calling in bulls. I can attest to. So did Denim and Woolrich, but you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> and that's that's I the thing. The happy medium with I the think, Wranglers. I though. think people, and that's one of the biggest things about like social media, right? They see these guys that are light years ahead of them in their career. That especially yeah. if you get started later, you're you're never going to be to their level. You're just, right. you're not, that's one of the things you have to accept, but then also accept that they're there. They're in a position to where people say, Hey, will you please endorse my product? You know? And it goes back to that whole hunting industry thing we kind of talked about and alluded to earlier. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're wearing it. They're one, they aren't paying what you're paying. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. your hard earned oh. money. You're, you're Joe Whitetail from the Midwest working a nine to five or whatever, punching that time clock. Like maybe you should look at skill level and then look at, you know, clothing and, and, and always focus on the, you know, the, the important things first. Like we, like we said, yeah. you know, those, those fundamental things that will definitely make or break you. And I'm going to tell you right now, a $12, $20, whatever pair of pants is going to kill an elk just the same as those denim jeans did whatever you know there's some technology definitely behind some of those more expensive clothing sure. systems like i mean i've got i've got four low and, and i truly love it but i'm going to tell you right now i could kill just as many deer or whatever in a different pair of pants but 
those pants do allow me to stay out longer. They do dry faster than some sure. of the other ones. You know, they keep my knees from get beating, getting beaten up on a tree when I'm wearing a saddle. But it's not stuff you have to have. It's just yeah. stuff that makes you actually probably makes me a little bit softer to be honest. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean? <laughs> Put on that denim and that Wolverine shirt, boy. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I, I always, I have this saying, you know, I kind of developed as, as the first couple of the elk seasons went by was that the mountains don't care if you're wearing two grand worth of Sitka or, you know, a hundred dollars worth of, of Walmart camo. It'll happily beat your ass in either outfit. That's right like fact like you go out there in the denim and the woolrich and get get throttled or you can go out there and looking like the sitka catalog or the kuyu catalog and get just as pounded you know the mountain doesn't <laughs> the mountain doesn't really give a shit it doesn't i found out the hard way kids trust me like all that stuff is cool and it yeah it wicks moisture but when you go out there and realize you haven't worked out your diet's not on point um you didn't check all the boxes mentally before you left the house and left work by you know, making sure things are square with the, with the misses and things are square with, with work. And you're in the right headspace when you go out there, um, you, you know, like that, all that clothing is just going to make you look cool in all the selfies <laughs> that you're going to take it yourself. The hunting and selfies. Just, the... Yeah. And it's just like, gosh, darn it. You know? So like I said, I've been preaching that, you know, and, and I, you know, like I said, I promote, you know, products that I like Sitka and, and Kafaru and things like that. But for the guy that just wants to get out there, man, I'm going to, I'm going to promote, you know, if you're on it, they said, if you're the Joe nine to five and man, I've been there, I've had to work overtime just to be able to afford gear, you know, whether it was, you know, hunting gear or racing stuff or the four wheeler I've, I've had to, you know, give up Saturdays and Sundays. So I know how hard it is to be able to, to buy some of that higher end stuff. And, you know, I probably want a couple thousand dollars over budget my first year. Uh, of, of help cutting it <laughs> easily. Jesus, the, the freaking the floorless shelter was like eleven hundred dollars. My wife, you know what I mean? My wife looked at me and she goes, "How much more stuff do you need to buy for this hunt?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's endless." Well, you know, just you know, a few things. And she's like, yeah. "Well, what's a few? You know, how many thousands are you gonna have wrapped up into this?" <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, one, you don't need half of it. You don't. Yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. You could totally get by. And especially for the guy who thinks he's going to hike in the back country and he gets a mile deep and goes, well, man, I'm pretty tired. Like I'm just going to hunt here for a while and, you know, maybe glass this meadow and well, I'm probably going to go back to the truck and camp. Well, guess what? You just eliminated three quarters of that stuff you thought you needed because yeah. you can carry something that's twice as big and it can be in your truck. And you know what, man, my truck is outfitted for whatever right now and it, it stays that way yeah. i've got drawers built into it that i built in a bed and whether it be a whitetail hunt or whatever like if i don't have to hike back somewhere and stay there i'm sleeping in my truck and i know i'm going to be super yeah. comfortable <laughs> yeah kids if you don't have a cap for your truck buy that first yeah try to thank me later if you don't have because i don't have a cap on mine it's like that's one of the things that why do you not have a I, cap that's I like the know. one thing that's almost like, mandatory i don't know yeah so There's like the, I remember a time in Midwest boy yourself, you know, oh man, I'm going to buy a truck. You buy a truck. It comes with a cap because you bought it from somebody's grandpa or yeah. something, right? Yeah. What's the first thing you do? <laughs> Take you that rip that off. Right well, off. I got to put four wheelers and dirt bikes <laughs> yeah. in the back. Yeah. What do you, why would I want a stupid cap? And then yeah. now yeah. you're to the point and me and my buddy were talking about this. You reach a certain age and you would almost give your left nut 
oh, dude. <laughs> for the a certain type of hunting cap for yeah. your truck, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm there. I'm 45 years old and I'm, I'm agreeing with everything. Cause I did, I had a, a 1988 Chevy Silverado single cab, no extended cab with an eight foot bed. Sweet and that truck. thing had one of the kit. that thing had the, the cat, it was a white kit. It was a maroon truck with a white cap. So the cap was the oh, yeah. up and then it went up some more. Like one of those big asshole. Yeah, so you don't hit your head on when you get inside of it, right? (laughs) Exactly. I ripped that son of a bitch right off, (laughs) and it sat at mom and dad's barn for. It's probably still sitting there, but yeah. But I said I wanted four wheelers, and it didn't look cool. You know, even my wife was like, "It's like a grandpa truck now," you know, because she didn't want me to get a cap because it looked like a grandpa. I'm like, so when we drive around now, and and camp caps have changed, so we drive around. I'm like. What do you think about that one? I'll point out a Silverado with a cap on it. And I'll be like, what about that one? And she'll give me like, yeah, that one's all right. <laughs> that one's all right. She'll be seen in that truck. She's like, it's a grandpa. It's still a grandpa truck. Or I'm like, look at the grays in my beard. It's like, yeah. like you said, I, I've gotten to the point now where the next truck, when I upgrade cap, like there's no, and it's going to stay there. Cause I, it's like, I gotta be sleeping in that. You know, there's so there's so much more room for activities. You I've know, almost like wanted to like stepbrothers. pivot like even more. And and uh, <laughs> and my friends, even my buddies that like I hunt with make fun of me for this one. They're like, yeah, yeah, you get that. And uh, I'm going to put uh, free candy on the side of it because I've been wanting to get a van. <laughs> like not even necessarily like realistically, unless you go out west and you do go down some like four wheel drive roads. You don't really need the four wheel drive. So Nuh-uh. especially around here, like whitetail hunting and stuff, can you imagine having a van all set up with like a bed and back, a little yeah. sink, like a little heater My inside? My brother of had it. one. He Dude. he bought a van in like it was like two thousand. He traded in his Silverado that he had, and he bought a I think it was like a two thousand Chevy van. It was like a, this really pretty green color, but it was just like two caps and chairs. And I think it had a bench, but he could take the bench out. And we went up north, uh, North Michigan, and salmon fish. And we lived out of the van top. <laughs> we lived in a van down by the river, down legitimately. The river. <laughs> yeah, not even kidding. He's like, "Down, we're not going to buy a hotel, dude. I got a cooler. We got this air mattress. There's enough room for the two of us to sleep in this thing." And I'm like, "Okay, I can dig it." But I'd never own one. But not like you said. Now it's like I see those. Uh, you ever see those sprinters? It's like a little yeah. tiny narrow van, like a lot of like the. Uh, the Amazon prime guys use for uh, deliveries or whatever. I look at those sometimes. I'm like, what kind of room you got in there? Oh, <laughs> what kind of I'm... shelving could I put in there? <laughs> so here's, here's my game plan. Cause like Amazon is going to be like going electric, going green. Right. So they're going to get all oh, these yeah. electric fans. You're going to have a surplus, all the used oh, Amazon fans. So all, like all my game plan is already to like, start looking to poach one of them. And uh, oh, yeah. get one at an auction or whatever and like totally pimp it out and turn it into ultimate like hunting van. Cause that's perfect. Like, yeah. Then like you could even stealth camp. Like you could find like a gas station or like a Walmart parking lot somewhere near oh, the public yeah. land. Just park it, have it to where it's got like blackout curtain dividing the cab from the, from the van. Oh like, yeah. I've already, <laughs> I've put a lot already. of time into it, <laughs> into thinking about that. So like when I get one, I'm, I've already got like, the floor plan laid out. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's other guys that are already light years ahead of us. Oh, know, sure. Already, I'm sure they are. Like, well, I mean, like Sam Soholt did that one, that four wheel drive with like the Quigley conversion, but let's yeah. face it, yep. man, those Quigley conversions are like, yeah, it's, 
I think I reached out to him and, and like uh, just trying to get a quote because I, I found a van, like a decent van. And I think it was like $28,000 to do the four-wheel drive conversion. Oh, so wow. now you're, you know, 15 or 20-something, maybe even 30-something into a van and then have that expense on top of it. And then you're still building yeah. it out. My wife was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got a truck. Yeah. It's just fine. The other thing, The other thing I thought about is a Suburban. So when you lay down both rows of a Suburban. Oh, yeah. Dude, there is so much room in the back. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah, that's definitely something I'm thinking about. I've, I was actually looking at these little teardrop campers. There's a company, I think they're in Tennessee or Kentucky. Uh, they're built for off-road. They, you know, they've got the little stove or the you know custom-made um, it's basically a king size bed, but you're just crawling in. You're not standing up doing nothing. It's like an outdoor kitchen, outdoor shower kind of a thing too. But those push upwards of 30 grand uh, as well. I can't remember the name of the uh, so name of the company, but yeah, if super you're looking cool that, concepts. So you can get a cargo, like a cargo trailer, like an enclosed trailer. And yeah. You just buy a different leaf kit for it and it put a different axle on it or not even a different axle. You can utilize the same axle, but a different leaf kit, and it's like a drop. So then you can put bigger tires on it, and it becomes oh, okay. bigger, more capable, and you put extra jacks on it. So then when you disconnect it from your vehicle, it'll still stay stabilized because now you have jacks on the front and back. Oh, okay. Um, and there's a place called... Uh, I'm going to mess it up. Steel Fab or Fab, Fab House... Um, campers steel fab or something like that and they're in arizona but like they make and ship their stuff and they've got it to where if you've got e-track in it you could just clip their stuff in and then if say you have to use it as a regular utility trailer you pull their stuff out oh, use gotcha. it as a trailer and it's just like a big module that sets in there and they've got like a full down bunk and stuff i've been looking at some of those too so yeah there's some different options steelhouse fab is the name of it oh, okay they're pretty cool they got some cool stuff going on so one of these options. days maybe i know <laughs> yeah, so well jason man it's been good we could probably talk for hours um oh, but dude, i don't yeah, want to keep sure. you forever uh <laughs> got some stuff i gotta do myself so i appreciate it uh before we leave though can you kind of tell everybody where they can find you how to reach out to you if they've got some questions want to listen to your podcast all that good stuff yeah yeah first of all thanks for again for having me on it was it was good to get a chance to meet you and uh you know, chat with you about all this stuff. Yeah. So if people want to check out the harvest holiday podcast, it's harvest holiday. I spell it with two L's. So holiday with two L's. That's how I spell my last name. Uh, pretty much wherever, same thing on Instagram. It's just harvest holiday podcast on IG. Feel free to, you know, DM me questions. I'm on probably more than I should be <laughs> on Instagram, honestly, to be, to be totally truthful with you. Um, but I'm happy to chat with anybody. Like I said, I'm, you know, I'm just a regular dude trying to learn this stuff. I'm, I'm definitely not a, a know-it-all, but what I do know, I, I try to pass on to people, even if it's, you know, the, my mistakes and my, my, my failures and things like that, uh, challenges, and hopefully to make you, um, you know, better on your first hunt or second hunt or whatever it might be. So that's, that's what I'm about there. And pretty much, you know, everything else is like the, you know, my, my personal page is just Jason holiday, five forty five. Um, but most of the podcast stuff is just on the, on the podcast page. So yeah, hit me up. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Hey, anytime.
Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky. to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.